Neil Brown just has that it factor, I believe. He's bought into the program. Everybody in the Big 12 is going to know his name, and all the quarterbacks are going to feel his pain. That underdog mentality has always been big for West Virginia. We're just heartbroken that we were not good at our jobs. He is the modern-day Don Nealon. Trust the climb. And now it's time for the Country Roads Webcast. What's going on, Mountaineer Nation? Welcome into another edition of the Country Roads Webcast. As always, I'm your host, Jordan Cruz, joined by my co-host, Steven. What's up, everybody? And our other co-host, Bradley. What's up? All right, so... uh all back here together again finally uh first time in a while it's good good to be back all together here i'm sure that the uh, listeners enjoyed as well but uh how y'all boys been doing uh we've won two games in a row so i'm doing good i'm ecstatic (laughs) same same i had to miss uh i had to miss this last weekend's game because of uh employment reasons but other than that don't ask me how it went because i couldn't have told you (laughs) Yeah, I wish it could have been there, one but. of those, huh? Yeah, it was a fun time. Absolutely, yeah, I had to go back through. I was, I was telling Stephen, I was like, got to go back through and rewatch the game because I just, I knew we won. I just didn't know how. Like, I was like, <laughs> I got to figure out. I got to figure that out. We played I mean, I, the way that I, we were I, capable of playing for a full football game for the first time this season. That's what happened. Yeah, I, I still don't. I still don't know how we won. I, I just did not see that one coming, and it's a, a great surprise. Yeah, it's almost like this is the team that we were told about all summer, seriously. Like, this is like, this is what I expected. And so it's finally just like, there it is. That's what I needed. Yeah, I think uh, we all just need to take these glasses off, though, real quick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People people are starting to appreciate we're going four and four for the rest of the season. And I'm like, pump those brakes. (laughs) Calm down for a minute. It's been been a tale of two halves of the season, for sure. I mean, yeah, the first half was – uh, disappointing this half has been, I think, unexpected and surprisingly great uh, up to this point. Um, you know, you take down Iowa State, a team that outscored you, what was 100-34 to 34 the past three seasons or something like that, and West Virginia puts 38 up in this game against, you know, the number one defense in the Big 12, um, number was a number three defense nationally, top five defense nationally. So I think a very unexpected yeah. performance for a lot of Mountaineer Nation and a very um, – happy you know we're all happy here of course but you know that's really proof of concept i think when you're talking trust the climb what neil brown wants his program to be i think we finally saw a glimpse of it in that one so you know i know we didn't get to do a live stream but you know we'll start this thing off with the same way we do as always uh you know thoughts on that win over iowa state how do you how are you feeling moving forward you know i know i'm trusting the climb i think we've all been talking trust the climb but uh Final thoughts on that Iowa State victory. Uh, what do you got, Stephen? Uh, you know, like like you guys said, just happy that we pulled out the win. But I think more than anything for for Neil Brown and a lot of people on this on this team, it was a revenge game for last year and years that you know prece- preceded that. You know, last year was what was it, forty two to six or something like that mm-hmm. out in <clears throat> out in names. It was not pretty at all. And you know, we I think we as fans tried to forget about that loss as quickly as possible. When we talk about this Baylor loss this year, you know, West Virginia played pretty well last season and still lost the game out names like that. So I think more than anything, it was a revenge game, but like I've been saying, I felt like there was going to be a week, you know, 
a game we didn't know when it was going to be where this offense finds themselves and really starts to produce numbers like we know that they could and they were capable of, and they finally did that. And I think we played all faces of the football game for a full football game finally. And there were some hiccups. I mean, we didn't play a perfect football game. I'm not saying that, but I think for all four quarters, we didn't really see them let off the gas pedal at any point like we have in other games, you know, that we've that we've lost this year. Because, I mean, it was a battle. It wasn't it wasn't like we blew them out. We, we still battled with them. So we just showed that we can have resolve in those tough games too. And I like the fact that it was in the second half of the season because now we can really make a push towards, you know, getting a bowl game when we were looking at winning four out of the next six games a few weeks ago and looking at that schedule and being like, man, we got Oklahoma State, Iowa State, Texas, you know, all these people on the schedule still left. Now it kind of like dwindles it down. Now you only got to win two of the next four. Yeah, absolutely. I think it showed the resiliency of this team, the toughness of this team, and that everyone, you know, a lot of people were talking, Neil Brown may have lost the locker room, what have you, but this showed that the team is fully bought in. They're behind him. They're behind this staff. They believe, and I think that's the biggest thing that sticks out to me is the resiliency of this team and the toughness of this team. We've heard Neil Brown talk about it, wanting to build a tough culture, and I think you saw it in that game. As as you said, Stephen, you know, every time Iowa State would score, we would answer. It was, you know, punch, punch back. It was us right there, you know, they were throwing us their best punches and we were still, you know, not backing down, still standing up, still staying in the fight. And uh, that's big, I think, for the – for this program moving forward and the culture that they're that, that they're trying to build here, you know, trust the climb as we've been saying here, and I think that's evidence of it right there. Um, Bradley, what about you? Thoughts on that Iowa State victory? Yeah, so a couple things I got away from it is uh, first off, I think kudos to Jared Deggy. Uh, I think Neil Brown brought it up best when he said, you know, if there's any guy that could have gotten down this year, it's Jared Deggy because I mean that guy's gotten beat up, booed out. And, uh, you know, people have been upset with him and not only just throughout the season, but I mean, the guy had his first pick, which really wasn't his fault. And then, I mean, you throw a really nasty pick coming off your first drive in the second half and, you know, he could have folded. I mean, that was a nasty pick six. That was a loft to a little, you know, throw out in the flats. And that's, that's an interception at a pick six any day to a, uh, a smart defensive linebacker, you know, that's going to read that. So, you know, he could have gotten down that time, but he didn't. And I think that shows real progression on Deggie's behalf because usually we see him, you know, make those mistakes and he crumbles. I mean, he absolutely starts to fold after that. So I think that's big on him. Do I think Jared Deggie's still that elite quarterback, great, going to win every game for us so far? No, not yet. He had great throws. He looked the best he's looked all year. But I don't think that he's going to be – I don't think that people should loft that great title on him yet. He's not there. And a lot of this has come to my next point of the offensive line. The offensive line really starting to jail, play really well. Um, like I've, I've talked about it a million times. I think I've talked about every podcast about how we don't have a single senior on that offensive line. They're all so young and that only bodes well for us every single week. Cause if they can get better every week, not just this year, but next year, that's going to really, really help us reach new heights under Neil Brown. And I think that that's what he's been looking forward to. And it's probably been, what's been the biggest disappointment this year has been our offensive line so far, because we expected them to be a lot better for some reason, after the summer. I guess hearing from the coaches speak and stuff like that, we expected them to be a lot better this year than what they have been. But, yeah, the line, offensive line really stepped up. And I think that Neil Brown said that while Milam had some of the 
best protection numbers. I, I think you said in his press conference earlier today or yesterday about how Wyatt Milam graded out really high that last game, and he got uh, his offensive lineman MVP for the, or the award for the week. And that's, that speaks volumes out of, a, out of a freshman that has had some struggle. And he was going up against one of the best defensive ends you know, in the Big 12, if yeah. not the country, this weekend, and yeah, he well. played well. So, so I think that that's like really what I got from this game is that our offensive line is really starting to show their strength, and through that, Jarrett Deggie's only playing better. So that's that's what I got through this game. Yeah, there's two things there that no, you said I that really stuck 100%. out to me, and, and and that was like the Jared Deggie thing. Absolutely impressed, but the <laughs> thing that most impressed me about it was as great as Jared Deggie played. You know, you got these clips coming out of Garrett Green. You know, he's like, where are all these Deggie haters now? And I love that, man. I love that. It shows a good relationship. That speaks to a good locker room culture, which is like what we've prided Neil Brown on is that good locker room culture. Yeah, it does. And the other thing was the offensive line. And I think that just shows you how important that bye week was to West Virginia, I think, because not only only for Wyatt Milam and and a couple of those young guys, but Doug Nestor has been playing – I'm it's night and day better on that right side of the line, in my opinion. And I think, it, you know, it's showing and how well they've been producing on offense now because we're able to run the ball up the middle and it's able to open that up and open up some of those guys over the middle in the passing game. Like you've seen Bryce Ford Wheaton make a lot of catches this past Saturday that they just haven't been there in the, in the past mm-hmm. game before that. So I think a lot of things are coming, you know, together now and i think the reason doug nestor i think is playing well this is what i was going to touch on was i you know we've we've said a couple shows before this that his hand was you know in a club and i I think that bye week finally gave him time to uh to heal that hand so i think that's really helped him get better yeah and shout out to jordan uh because this is something i've been telling a lot of people is your call on i don't know how to pronounce his name the offensive analyst do you know how to say it sir Uh, sir coda Kirk Soraka, I think that that – I mean, you called that a couple of weeks ago. I think that him coming down and being part of the offensive play calling and Neil Brown stepping back from that bye week, I think our offense has seen a huge upswing. And I'm, I'm going to give some credit to that because I think that somebody else has finally stepped in that room and said, hey, stop holding these kids' hands. Let let them go out there and make some plays. And you saw people like Bryce Ford Weekend, Bryce Ford Wheaton step up this weekend – and, you know, show that he's capable of making these big plays and being the playmaker if we throw the ball to him. You know, we got to stop being so scared and go out there and give these kids a chance to play some ball because we've got some ballers. And so shout out to you for that because I think that that's been a huge – another huge factor in um, getting our offense to score more points. I mean, we finally passed 30. <laughs> I mean, that's a number we've talked about a lot on Absolutely. this podcast is the fact yeah. that we can't hit th- – we couldn't buy 30 points at hey, a freaking – And we David scored Busters, touchdowns you know? in both the first and second half. I think that's the we first time other than – We scored 14 points in the fourth quarter. Yeah, I yep. think that's the first time – we might have done that against TCU, but the first two times we've done that all season. Other than that, I know that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you can't look at it and say something didn't change during the bye week. I know, I, like you said, brother, I mentioned Kirk Soraka. I think you know he was a, a good offensive line at Minnesota, then at Penn State last year, and he's someone that Neil Brown wanted 
to get his offensive coordinator initially and couldn't because he was a very hot commodity at the time. Joins the staff this year as an offensive analyst. And then during the bye week, he becomes more involved in the game planning and play calling. Like he can't technically call the plays uh, because where he's only an analyst by rule. So he can't call the plays. But if you're watching the games and you're seeing uh, Neil Brown's nowhere near when the offensive plays are being called, and he used to always uh, signal those in himself. And he's completely took it himself out of that, um, you know, whether, you know, he had admits to it or, or whatever, you know, you can visually see it unless you're blind until he's taking himself out of that. So it's it's Jared Parker calling these plays from the booth and uh, Kirk Soraka very involved in the offensive game planning and it and it's made a difference. You know, I don't know if it's, you know, more hands off approach by Neil telling these guys that they'll let you know, he'll let them run the ship or, or what what have you. More uh confidence from Dakey, I think, is evident. And then the offensive line, as you guys mentioned, I think that's been the biggest factor, even more so than the play calling. Um, exclusively since the bye week, we've played five offensive linemen and brought in no subs against TCU and against um, this this most recent game against Iowa State. Um, you've had five offensive linemen playing, and I think they've really started to gel. I think Wyatt Milam's really come along at right tackle. As you guys mentioned, Doug Nestor has two hands now, and that's really making a difference on that right side um, all around. And I think uh, this offensive line, all five of those guys have uh, three years to play at least between them. So they're going to really grow together and gel together. And uh, to me, my bold prediction, you know, moving forward, and I wouldn't have said this 15 days ago. I know I mentioned you guys all fair. I wanted to wait till we got on the podcast to give you this bold prediction. But my bold prediction is that uh, I think Daigie uses utilizes that extra year, and I think Daigie's the starting quarterback of this team next year. I think that, you know, mm. looking at it, Nico's coming in. I think Nico will redshirt and uh, – I think the best case scenario for this team, because you have the entire offense coming back minus Letty Brown. I think if you have a, a experienced quarterback leading this offense, the sky's the limit for this offense. And I think looking at Daigie, I think he's going to have, you know, 40 plus starts under his belt at that time. And I think uh, next year, I would not be surprised at all to see Daigie come back because uh, Daigie's not an NFL quarterback. I think we can all agree to that. And you're looking at, you know, maybe Canadian League, Arena League at most. And I think right now, in college, he can make just as much as he could uh, doing either of, those, either of those things. So my uh, bold prediction right now, you know, mark it down November 3rd, 2021. I think uh, next year you see Jarrett Dakey as a starting quarterback as this team, as an experienced guy uh, moving forward with this offense. Uh, you know, my stance on that has been that Nico is going to have the job next year. But I will say if Dakey finishes this – in this last stretch of games, I'm not saying wins them, but if he plays this last stretch of games that we have in this season and then go to potentially to a bowl game and play in that bowl game the way that he has been the last two weeks, I absolutely agree with you. There's no way in the world that I think you could take a, the starting job for someone that you know has seen struggle throughout the whole season. And mind you, Deggie's numbers have not – I mean, he's had the highest quarterback grade or right up there with – um with the guy from Oklahoma, I forget his name because they switch him so much now. Um, but he's been up here with the you know the top three every time I see them give out quarterback grades each week. Even when West Virginia, you know, has these close games and they lose, he's still up there in numbers. And I mean, I know we see it on the field, and it's not a visual representation of of a great product, but he's playing he's playing high volume football as of right now and as of late. And I think that. You know, if he continues to play like that, there's no way I can take the starting job away from him. I'm I'm more and more becoming a Deggy fan, and I haven't been 
I haven't harped on him all season, I don't believe. Maybe maybe <laughs> once. Yeah. So I see it as more of like a I, – I would definitely not call it right now. I would definitely wait till the end of the season to see if I think that Deggie is going to hang around. I think if he has a slow end of the year, like, I mean, like I said, I want to get hyped up, but I'm, I'm keeping my glasses off this time. I'm not going to say Deggie's going to have the same – finish out every single game the way he's had played the last two games. If he does, hell yeah, that makes, that makes me super excited because I would love to see that. That only means our team's playing better. But, yeah, if he gets to the end of the year and he's playing really great, I could definitely see him staying for another year, which is good for me in the sense of it gives us more competition in the quarterback room. Then you have an experienced uh, senior citizen in there, and then you've got a young freshman in there. you got Garrett Green in there. And I could still see Deggy losing that starting job, and I think that he would be a very gracious backup quarterback. I mean, if you have uh, Nico Marchiol or you have Garrett Green that's starting – then, like, what better guy to have backing him up than a guy that knows the system and is willing to be a team player and a great leader, honestly, even if he's not starting? Because I don't think Jared Day is going to be one of those guys if he's not starting to, you know, get mad and throw a hissy fit about the team, you know, because I think that he cares more about the team winning than himself winning. So, you know, I, I would be excited to see that. I don't necessarily, like I said, I don't know if he'll keep that starting job, even though he's been in it for so long. But I think that Neil Brown, I don't think, so let me rephrase that. I don't think that. Neil Brown would submit him in that starting role. I think he would make it a competition. I think he would tell them like, "Hey, the job's open. Like, it's not just because Deggie's here doesn't mean you guys aren't like can't can't win that job. You know, you come out here and you make our team a better team. Job's yours. You know, and I that's what I like out of Neil Brown is he's not afraid to make those kind of. Well, I say that he hasn't given Garrett Green a chance all year, so contradicting what we've seen. But I could definitely see him, you know, keeping that quarterback competition open, saying, "Hey, you guys come out here and prove that you can play better. Let's do it." But I think that it'd be nice still having Deggie around. So, yeah. Yeah. Next year's team's going to look a whole yeah, lot different, a, though, than what this year's team, than what this year's team <laughs> looks like, really. I, because you got to think, there's going to, I mean, there's always a lot of transfers that you don't really expect, a lot of transfers that you do see coming and don't see coming. And then we, you factor that in with, you know, how many seniors are, you know, on this defensive side of the ball as well. You know, we're not, going to be looking at nearly the same squad as what we're looking at right now. So we're going to have to factor that in as well and how differently this offense is probably going to function a year from now. Yeah. No, I, I agree. I think I think the defense loses a lot. The offense returns a lot, kind of the flip side of where you are right now. Got a young offense and you're moving forward. Uh, but to me, I think, you know, if, if Daigie comes back, I think the job's his to lose because – you look at it, um, as Bradley said, uh, Neil hasn't showed the most faith in Garrett Green, I guess. I mean, you see him, you know, he was at last press conference going out of his way to compliment Goose Crowder and his leadership skills, something that he's never said about Garrett Green. And I think the way that he's handled the Garrett Green situation has shown that it would not be very likely for him to start a true freshman in, in Nico, no matter how talented he is. And, you know, then you also have to factor in the fact that you know, Nico would be a left-handed quarterback, so you're flipping everything completely. Um, whereas right now your right tackle is Wyatt Milam. He would be your backside left tackle as opposed to right now it's Brandon Yates. And, you know, I think that plays more of a part than people people realize. And if Garrett, and, mm. excuse me, if Jared Dagey um, feels the need to, you know, use that last year of eligibility, which I don't see why, why he wouldn't want to, um, I think that, you know, Neil has shown a confidence in him and a belief in him and to – the fact that he'll go with experience over anything else. So I think if Daggy chooses to come back that, yeah, it's very, he'll probably be the starting quarterback in 2022 as well. I think it really, at this point, the balls, balls in Daggy's court, I think. 
Yep. And I'm like, a lot like you, I would not have said that 15 days ago. No, not at all. Yeah, 15 days ago, I don't think anyone Oh my God. (laughs) We're all all praying for Nico, honestly, but. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's, well, 15 days ago, I would have said you're either starting a true freshman or you're starting quarterbacks not on the roster yet because I think they may have gone out to hit the transfer portal. But, but right now, I think that, yeah, Daggy's looking like he may be the guy again. And I, and I yeah, wouldn't be I mad. Hope, that, I mean, he finally hit some of those deep passes, which was nice. Yeah, I just hope that Nico yes. – I hope that Nico looks at that as a positive, you know, sitting out that red shirt because I'm pretty – it wasn't that same situation at Florida State that made him transfer. You know, they – recruited someone else in his class and made him transfer out of there but you know it just seems like the kid really wants to start right away you know i hope it doesn't put a fork Step in that road yeah but i mean I then let's I give Neil brown some time to see in, but yeah. you know yeah but let's give Neil brown some time to see what else he brings in in that like in our recruiting classes coming up at quarterback you know yeah. we could be high on nico but it, you know brown's showing that he's willing he's willing and able to go out there and get those high high caliber high quality guys yeah. so you know we can have hard eyes for Nico all we want. Doesn't mean there's not going to be a better guy coming up behind him. I love you, Nico. I want you. I want you starting. I want you here. Yeah, he's there's proven himself. <laughs> he's proven himself, and that's why I'm so high up on him. I'm, the talent that he's playing up against in, in high school is not the the general talent that West Virginia recruits are facing. The talent that this kid's played against is top level talent for high school football. You know, he's playing Bishop Gorman and, and schools like that who play on a regular basis and get recruited on a regular basis to Alabama and Ohio state and Oklahoma, you know, yeah, he's playing against division one talent already He's playing against division one talent that are four and five star guys. It's not, these guys are already almost pro ready football players that he's playing against and he's dominating these guys. So that's, I'm pretty bought into this kid already and I could be wrong. You know, there's been, there's been a few more than a few recruits come to West Virginia that, uh, you know, Didn't haven't really panned out and, and done that, but they haven't, they haven't all faced the level of talent that that kid has. I'll tell you that. Yeah. And I saw a tweet to this just, point in his career yesterday that, yeah, exactly. And he has, uh, broken his school's record for passing touchdowns in a regular season. I think it was 29 that he has already, and they still have two regular season games left. So, you know, he's, he's, he's a stud playing against that tough competition. And, you know, I think that he's, he's definitely the guy of the future, but I uh, like, I think he could benefit from a red shirt if, if, you know, if, he, if he'd be willing to do so, um, like you guys said, but like I said, I think it's all dependent on uh, Deggie and what he tr- decides to do. And, and like Bradley says, I think these last, Four games will go a long way in in deciding that, and the first of those four games will be against Oklahoma State, um, three thirty this weekend. Uh, Mountaineers will be taking on the number eleven ranked Cowboys. Another tough matchup for the Mountaineers. Last week, Iowa State was the number one defense in the con- in the conference. This week, Oklahoma State has taken over that spot, number one defense at the conference, top ten defense nationally, and they've really done it uh, with their defense and their running game behind. Jalen Warren, but talking about that defense, what uh, West Virginia, you know, faces a tough task going up against that defense. It's a lot different than the Iowa State defense. Iowa State mainly a zone team. We've seen the Oklahoma State, you know, they play press man. They're going to really force you uh, to come out there and 
and make some moves to the line of scrimmage. You know, West Virginia struggled in the past to do so, having beat Oklahoma State since 2014. So that press man has been a problem, especially since, you know, Jim Knowles took over in 2017 as the defensive coordinator, and they went more to that aggressive, you know, cover zero, bring the blitz, uh, man up on the outside type of defense. And they have some studs, Malcolm Rodriguez, linebacker, Colby Harville Pill in the in the secondary specifically, but uh, studs all over. Tough task for West Virginia. What are you guys' thoughts on the Mountaineer offense that has really improved since the bye week, over 400 yards in both their games since then? But they're facing maybe their toughest task yet with this Oklahoma State team coming to Morgantown. What are your thoughts on the West Virginia offense going up against this Oklahoma State defense this Saturday, Bradley? Yeah, so I, I really just wanted to be like, you know, bing, 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 take it down top defenses in the Big 12. You know, we dropped Iowa State down. Maybe we can turn around and do the same thing to Oklahoma State. Um, I'm definitely not feeling as confident against Oklahoma State defense. Like you said, we've had a tough time going up against them since 2014. We're really struggling against these Oklahoma schools. And something I heard Neil Brown talking about is the fact that they've got some real beefcakes sitting up there on the defensive line. And that's something that we really struggled with with Maryland is that we just could not – they had a real stout nose tackle, and we just could not move him off the ball, and that really threw off our running game. And as if you guys have ever listened to Jordan Cruz talk, if we don't hit 100 rushing yards, we don't win a game. So I think that you know, – He's made me a believer in that because I've, I've yeah. been preaching that every facts. game. Yeah. It's facts. Yeah. yeah. I'm telling you, people don't realize. No, I don't think many more people know more about what's going on. Nobody has a better finger on the pulse of our sports than Jordan Cruz does. I mean, we're really blessed to Max. be able to feed off of what this guy has got to give. So, yeah, I think that that's going to be one of our biggest issues is right up there on the uh, is on the line because they've got some real thick guys and those are tough guys to move. So, this is going to be the weekend that's really going to tell. You know, I'm not. If we lose this weekend, I'm not going to full sell all our teams back to being trash. Uh, I think it's just really going to be telling of how good our offensive line is getting. If they're truly getting better and starting to gel and working better, we should see it this weekend because this is a good comparison game, like I said, to Maryland, those big guys that we had a tough time moving around. If we can actually get them moving around this weekend and show some physicality, even if we lose, then I think that's a really good sign going forward. It's just a fact that we can move people. Jared Dagey and our wide receivers, I think they're going to have a big day if we can get some offensive blocking up front. But I think that that right there is the game. It's down there in the trenches. No, I, I agree Absolutely. 100%. You know, time yeah. has been the thing that has made uh, Jared Dagey look a lot better in the offensive lines, given him time since the bye week. The offensive lines looked improved since the bye week, and I think this is a game where you, where you really need that. You need Dagey to make good, good decisions as well if they bring that zero blitz and he has to, you know, find his hot read and get that ball out quickly. And we'll see, you know, if Daggy's decision-making continues to be impressive as it has been since the bye week, you know. But the offensive line, I think, has shown improvements, but this is a tough task for them. Uh, Big hog Molly's up front for Oklahoma State, and uh, the rushing game's got to get going. You know, that's what gives West Virginia success, as you mentioned, Bradley. You know, if they get over 100 rushing yards, it's uh, automatic victory up to this point under Neil Brown. I think it's, what, 11-0 or 12-0 now. So, uh, you know, the mm-hmm. rushing game's definitely key for West Virginia. And uh, this offensive line continuing their success is big. Um, Steven, what are you looking at when you see this uh, West Virginia offense going up against this Oklahoma State defense? Yeah, I'm the same. I'm the same exact as you guys. I think it's it's right down there in the trenches. It has to be, you know. I don't think you can look anywhere else than that when you look up, you know, at what West Virginia has had to grow upon themselves, and then what Oklahoma State's been most dominant at this season, and that's up front on the defensive side. 
And uh, but really, what makes me most mad about this game is that they've got another big uh, hog Molly, as as you like to put it, Cruz on the offensive line that West Virginia had a few years ago, and that's Josh Seals. Uh, you know, because he's Josh still Seals, yeah. he's still out there at Oklahoma State, and st- he's he's just been on winning football teams the whole time he's been in college. You know, because he goes from playing with guys he played with and go out in o- to Oklahoma State and enjoys the guys they're playing with, and he hadn't had a bad team out there yet. So <laughs> that's true. Kind of pisses me off a little bit. You know what I mean? <laughs> hey, he's got to do his best. For yeah, him. I mean, especially a West Virginia boy. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, well, uh, I don't I don't care what's best for him, Bradley. West Virginia hasn't <laughs> been that great at offensive line play this season. Okay. Yeah, they've been uh, nice. I, I kid. Him. I kid. Yeah. yeah and another him. thing okay. when we're talking about the run game is yeah, Tony Mathis is look good. Yeah, that that yeah. break in number nine oh, yes. much, that, that's the defensive end. Yeah, Tony Mathis looked good, which is so like glad you very encouraging coming in. Especially losing Michael Laughlin. We're gonna need some more uh, you know, we're gonna need some a little bit more variation because I mean that's a lot of blocking that we're losing. So we're there's a little bit more hey, hits on Letty Brown. TJ so it's Banks nice that we did got competent. TJ Banks, Banks did not look he, bad. He Oh, see, I like him a lot. I like the way he catches ran well. I, yeah, I was a big fan of him. That's somebody I really wanted to talk about during this podcast. Was just like TJ Banks showing up at a at a, at a pivotal time. He's got to step up, and he did so. Yeah, he deserves the shout out. You know, like you said, uh, Michael Laughlin out for the season. We've learned now, as well as Nick Tory Fortune. If you flip over to the defensive side, Charles Woods really stepped up there. But TJ Banks definitely stepped up. I know I was worried about a run game when I figured Michael Laughlin was out, but TJ Banks stepped up not only blocking wise, but he had, you know, three catches, 35 yards, I believe it was. Some really tough things. And um, surprisingly enough, TJ Banks was actually our highest our second highest graded player uh, according to PFF. So that guy really stepped up in a big way, and we need that moving forward. Yeah, it Wow. I didn't really realize he was graded that high, but I knew he played at a high level because he didn't – I don't think that we looked like we skipped a beat out there. He looked like a little bit better than Mike O has this season, to be honest with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he really gave us an option that we didn't really have beforehand because usually our short routes are not – it's either we got a slant or we got a – like a little, you know, screen pass or not screen pass, but a little, uh, you know, pass out to the flies to Letty Brown, and that's pretty much all we've had in the short game, you know, or we're running like a a, wide, a slot, a wide wide out screen or something like that. So, you know, TJ Banks really gave us that, you know, inner like real short game right there. We could just dump it off to him, you know, three yards past the line of scrimmage, and then he got six more, you know, and so that was really crucial. Yeah. No, I agree. He stepped up. He stepped up in a big way. As as did a lot of those, you know, guys along that front, the offensive line, as we've talked about, you know, uh, Will McDonald at Iowa State led the Big 12 in sacks, and Wyatt Milam really held his own against that. And I think we've seen Wyatt Milam come into his own in that game. And, you know, we're looking at some superstar potential moving forward for a guy that's a true freshman there with Milam. And I was really impressed with him as I have been since the uh, bye week when he's been playing exclusively at that right tackle uh, position and letting him grow into his own. And I think he's coming along there as is that whole offensive line, but uh, flip it over the other way, Oklahoma state, um, as Steven mentioned, Josh Seals along their offensive line, and they really try and 
uh, utilize that run game. Jalen Warren has been an absolute stud for them in the backfield. Uh, Spencer Sanders can hurt you with his legs as well. But, you know, you're talking about a guy in Jalen Warren that we're probably going to see get 25 to 30 carries in this game, and they really want to establish that run. And then if you bite up on that, they got two speedy receivers on the outside. Uh, Western's defense, though, has been solid in recent weeks, but this is going to be a, a good matchup to see. Uh, if they can stop that Oklahoma State run game. Uh, what are your thoughts on the West Virginia defense going up against this Oklahoma State offense, Stephen? Uh, I actually think that they fare pretty well. I know that Oklahoma State's offense has, you know, they haven't played very bad this season. They've been pretty good. They haven't been very elite, though. But West Virginia's defense right now, I think, is starting to come into themselves as well as, as you know, a lot of the offense is. And the defense hasn't played bad for most of the season, in my mind. I, I think that, you know, that's what, kept us in games um, for the most part. But, you know, I, th- I think West Virginia, especially on the backside, the only person that I'm really worried about is Sean Mahone, and he really hasn't played bad in the past two weeks. He's given up one or two catches that I really, I think, are kind of suspect. But for the most part, I think he's played a lot better than what he did, you know, previously before the bye week. But, you know, I really think that as long as the backside on this defense stays intact, uh, we should fare pretty well because the the defensive line for West Virginia has really started to play top tier. They've been playing top tier, but I mean, these past few weeks, man, they have really been lights out. They really, they've been getting back there a lot. I I already knew they were good, but they've they've been impressing me a lot the past few weeks. Yeah, I mean, Mesidor's been facing double teams, still making plays. Uh, you've really seen Jordan Jefferson come on in recent weeks. Um, Eddie V, the true freshman from, I believe, uh, Finland, he's been getting some play in the recent weeks and has been looking good. And I think Dante Stills is playing the best football of his career in recent weeks. I think he has six sacks oh, on the yeah. season now. Huge one there against Iowa State there on their you know, final drive to uh, – really help West Virginia seal that thing. And the West Virginia defense really been coming along. Josh chandler Samito on the next level, uh, playing out of his mind. I think 72 tackles already on the season with four games to go. And then in that back end, Daryl Porter's really, you know, started coming to his own. That's a lockdown corner right there. I don't know if you guys knew that. Uh, but uh, And then Charles Woods, Never as I mentioned that. previously, that's a guy that's really stepped in for Nick Drury Fortune. Yeah, I didn't know if you knew that or not. And then, you know, the <laughs> die saw it. And Sean Mahone, a suspect, has been in Pass coverage has been an absolute solid tackler uh, these past two games. Uh, Bradley, what have you seen from this West Virginia defense that you like as they face a tough task against this Oklahoma State offense? Yeah, and I mean, you guys covered a lot of it, so I'm just going to try to hit what I think that hasn't been hit. Um, I, real quick, I think Sean Mahone's kind of like the defensive Jarrett Nagy. Plays really well, but his bad plays are really bad. <laughs> it's like when, it's like it's like when he has a bad play, it's it's like a touchdown, you know. And I guess that's just like the the downside of the position because you know he plays so well, and then it's just like he messes up once and it's seven points, you know. And that's just like so tough to watch. So my thing looking at this defense this weekend, I want to see a game where we don't we don't have a blown assignment. I feel like it's been every single game a team scored a touchdown off of us just because we haven't been where we're supposed to be. And, I mean, that could be Brees Hall's first run was a, a misblown blown assignments, like missed uh, being in the wrong holes at the wrong time yeah. and still catching touchdowns where we got no mm-hmm. defensive background. I, mean, I want to see at least one game where we make them work for every touchdown, you know, not giving them one or two that they just, you know, we, we hand it to them. And I feel like that's happened at least once every single game so far. So, that's still just something I look at, and I could de- I would like to see more improvement in that aspect. 
But some of the guys you guys talked about, I've been really impressed with Charles Woods. I think the guy's played really well stepping up into that position, filling in for Nick Troy Fortune, who's going to be out for the rest of the season. And I think that Josh Chandler Samito is an all Big 12 first team. I don't know how you argue against that. That guy is playing phenomenal football. Absolutely, he is. Uh, yeah, facts. Yeah. I think we would be. I think we would be remiss if we didn't mention that in both of the top twenty-five victories the WVU's had this season, um, the Mountaineer feels the goal line stands on the final plays have been great defensive plays. The whole, I mean, yeah. the, those whole games. Just, I mean, just speaking of those two specifically, defensive unit was solid the entire game, other than maybe those one or two plays where they give, like you say, up. You know that one of those big plays that they somebody gets lost. I've you know it's been Sean Mahone. As much as I love Alonzo Adai, he's given up one because of a blown coverage and a missed assignment because it was he got switched onto mm-hmm. another guy and the other guy didn't pull back. And really, it was Zoe's fault because he's supposed to stay back. It, the way the defensive scheme was, Zoe's supposed to ride the guy to the top and the other guy's supposed to slide over with the guy cutting to the middle, but it didn't work like that. So there are. You know, things that get, you know, lost in coverage. I mean, like a lot of stuff in football, you know, I mean, it's all about learning what assignments you've had on specific plays. But this defense, really, for the most part, I don't, they don't play bad football ever in my mind, other than those big plays that they give up. They know their assignments. Our defensive line and our linebackers are really, really damn good. Yeah. Yeah, even no, in the those Baylor game. I mean, you can make an about, argument. They've allowed big plays, but but the red zone defense and the third down defense has been has been phenomenal. Absolutely. And I think I saw yeah, stats somewhere on. Yeah, and I think I saw stats somewhere on Twitter the other day talking about how since in the last two games since the bye week because we like to go back to that bye week because I mean if you if you can't tell that there's been a change from the bye week then you're just not looking. You know, yeah, you're, you're not just watching. not watching. And I think that they said on first down plays we've gone from giving up a little over seven yards. Uh, on first down plays on the defense to giving up a little over five yards a down, which I mean, five yards still feels like a lot on first downs, but you know, you still got some of those big plays on first downs that we've given up. And it's just like, you know, we're, we're doing a lot better about putting people in these, you know, second and long, third and long positions. And that's just where our defense thrives, which is probably why we're seeing some more interceptions and some more turnovers just because we're, we're forcing people to try to make those bigger plays when we're more covered for it. And we're making plays on balls, which is, yeah, which is what you want to see. I mean, it's really, really fun to see that happen. So that's, that's only, that's only doing well for us. So. Yeah. A lot of different guys no, making no, plays on balls too. They've on been defense. Way, way more aggressive. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Guys, guys have really been pulling that trigger, you know, as, as the coach, coaching staff likes to say, and they've been, they've been very aggressive jumping routes and uh, flying to the football. And that, that's what you want to see from your defense. And I think the big difference in these past two weeks has been, they've been creating turnovers, whether it be if the ball's on the ground, they're jumping on it, or if they're jumping in front of route, getting an interception. Uh, that's been, that's been a big change for the defense. Not only have they still been tackling solid, still been, you know, around the ball every play, but they, they've been forcing turnovers. Yeah, and that's definitely what I've been – the only negative that I could have given the defense prior to the bye week was that they didn't get turnovers enough. And they've definitely turned that around, you know, in the two games post-bye week. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, I uh, talked a little bit about uh, our final thoughts on Iowa State, hit the matchups. Um, let's get into our final two segments now, starting with our key to victory. Um 
What are you guys thinking? What's going to lead the Mountaineers to a third consecutive victory, which will be the first time ever uh, with three consecutive victories since Neil Brown took over as head coach. They've won two in a row a couple of times, but never hit that uh, three in a row victories. But, you know, playing a Mountaineer field second consecutive game uh, would be another ranked win under Neil Brown's belt. But what's going to help them get to that? Uh, what's your key to victory in this one, Stephen? Uh, it's got to be the offensive line against their defensive line. I think, you know, those guys up front have to really get a push on those guys and, and drive them and drive them back for us to be able to get run space and then in turn open up the passing game at all. I think it's got to come down to what those guys do up front. So, yeah, that's – I don't think – like I said I like earlier, that. I don't think I it's like that. any – that's the glaring problem for this game in my mind. I don't think West Virginia's line is going to be able to hold that. I guess that kind of gives my prediction away. But Hey, you know, no, no, I agree. It's, it's going to be a battle in the trenches, a battle in the trenches for sure in this game, whether uh, you look at – if West Virginia has the ball, if they're trying to defend Oklahoma State when they have the ball, it's going to come down to that battle in the trenches, I think. But, uh, Bradley, what about you? What do you got as your key to victory for the Mountaineers in this one? Yeah, I'm hitting them with that big. I think it's going this way. One, zero, zero. We've got to hit those 100 rushing yards. I, I, Cruz has been on it all year, Crucial. and I, I'm going to get behind it too. It's got to be if we don't get 100 yards, we're not going to win this game. No matter how bad we want to, if we don't hit 100 yards, it's not happening. Very true. 100 yards rushing. I don't know if I said that. 100 yards rushing. We got to hit 100 yards rushing in order to win this game. Offensive line got to get West pushed Virginia to get that 100 yards. Undefeated. Yeah, West Virginia remains mm-hmm. undefeated under Neil Brown since he took over in 2019. If the team has 100 rushing yards, uh, they haven't lost. So that's definitely always, I think, a major key. And, you know, I'm, I'm going to go that way as well. I've went that way the past couple of weeks. The run game for me is the key to victory. But I think in this one, I'm going to go with more along the lines of stopping the run. I think if West Virginia can stop the run, they stand a great chance. Jalen Warren has been a weapon for Oklahoma State all seasons. He's had a you know couple games over 30 carries and uh, really been the guy that gets it going for them. As I said, Spencer Sanders hurt you with your legs as with his legs as well. But I think if you make him, you know, one dimensional and have to force him to throw the football, West Virginia has a great chance in this game. So I think if West Virginia stops the run, they've got a good chance. So my key to victory is uh, stop the Oklahoma State running game. Um, so uh, that brings us to our final segment here on the Country Roads webcast. I appreciate you joining us here. If you have all three of us back together again, it's been a great show. Uh, follow us on Twitter at WVU Country Roads. We'll have our live stream coming at you uh, Sunday at, for our Oklahoma State reaction. We're going to get that back going. You know, missed a couple, but we're going to be back with it uh, with you guys on Sunday. So check that out on our Facebook and on our YouTube. Just Search Country Roads Webcast and subscribe to us there if you haven't already as we continue to get the video side of this uh, trying to grow up here in our fourth season of the Country Roads Webcast. But that being said, our final segment here, as always, we're going to get into game predictions. So uh, what do you guys think here uh, for the Mountaineers against Oklahoma State on Saturday? What's your prediction for this one, Bradley? So, uh, real quick, I want to say we are only two-and-a-half-point underdogs, which is not what I was expecting. Just I wanted to throw that out there real quick. Um, so, I think it's going to be a close one, but I think that Oklahoma State still is just going to have our number. I would love to see consistency. I mean, I just want to see us consistently compete with these guys. But it's really hard for me to come out and say that we're going to win this game when, you know, we've looked better, but I can't. <clears throat> if we can stay consistently better, then we have a chance of winning this game, and I think that we're going to have a chance to win this game. But I think it's going to come down to 27-21 Oklahoma State. 
Yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm right there with you. I'll go ahead and throw mine out, and then we'll toss it to Steven. But I think that it's going to be, you know, West Virginia is going to battle, I think, as well. But I, I'm, I'm pretty close to you. I got Oklahoma State 31-21. I think that their defense is, is really tough, and I think West Virginia has struggled with their defense in the past, and I think that continues. You know, we saw back, you know, the first year under Jim Knowles when they kind of started using this attacking, you know, man, press coverage, get-in-your-face system. They shut down guys like David Seals and Gary Jennings, they really struggle to get off that press man coverage. And I think we're going to see, despite our receiver success this year, it's kind of hard when you haven't seen something like that really all year. And I think we're going to, you know, maybe have some struggles trying to deal with that and something we haven't seen before. And I think our offense, um, I don't think that they're going to take too big of a step back, but I think, you know, against TCU and Iowa State, we're going to see a little bit less than what we've seen in those games in our offense. Um, only score 21 points in this one is, is my prediction. And I think Oklahoma State's defense will be tough for us to deal with. And I think that uh, Jalen Warren will, uh, you know, find some holes as well and uh, get some things going. And I got Oklahoma State scoring 31, and I just don't think we'll be able to match that. So I got a 10-point victory for Oklahoma State, 31-21 to 21 is my prediction in this one. Uh, Steven, what about you? Uh, I'm actually a lot like you guys. I don't think that West Virginia is going to have, you know, the firepower on offense to be able to keep up with them on Saturday as well as they've been playing. I just don't think that they can consistently do that until they can show me that they consistently do that. I can't, you know, I can't pick them to do that. So uh, a little bit more high scoring than what you guys got. I got West Virginia losing uh, 38 to 27 or 38 to 28. Sorry. Um, yeah, if they win this game this weekend, though, they're going to make a believer out of me, and I probably will pick them moving forward to win the rest of the games because if you can play yeah, – If somehow we pull out this game this weekend, then yeah. we, we look yeah. good for the rest of the year. I, yeah, I absolutely agree. And I think that we finish strong with a bowl win in a very strong way to finish out the season if that is the case. But I, right now I don't know if, if that's going to be, be the case. Not the way I thought we'd be hitting eight and four, but – yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'd take eight and four. I don't think sure. anybody would pick that to be the way we finish eight and four. <laughs> but uh, no. anybody would take eight and four with the way this season started. I'll guarantee you that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think that if West Virginia wins this one, I think Texas is a toss up. But I've got us beating Kansas State in Kansas. I think that the Iowa State win to me. I think that West Virginia is going to get a bowl game at this point. Uh, what do you guys think, West Virginia bowl bound at the end of the season now? And that's something I wouldn't have said prior to the pot week. Like well, like I said, you had to win four of the of the next six, and with the way West Virginia was playing up to that point, there was I mean, who would have thought West Virginia? could ever have a chance to win four of those games with the, the competition that we're facing in the Big 12. You know, I, I, right now, the West Virginians put themselves in position, a lot better position for a bowl game. I don't think you can pick against them when they do, you know, have very winnable games against Kansas State and Kansas. Yeah, for sure. And I think that Mike Gundy came out and said that, you know, we're probably one of the scariest four and four teams in the country right now. And I playing right now, yeah, and I mean – He's still looking at it. A lot of people got to remember, like, we're still only a couple of ways from being six and two, you know, six and seven and one. So we can't forget that. And I know it's like, it's it's still hard to look through things through those lights. But yeah, I do think that we're one of the scariest four and four teams in this, uh, in the country right now. And I think Oklahoma State is going to be ready for us when they come in, which, you know, is even more scary. But uh, to me, it's just going to be like, it's just consistency. You know, we haven't won three games in a row under Neil Brown so far. So it's hard for me to convince myself we're going to do it now against our damn good Oklahoma State team. 
Yeah, and Oklahoma schools always yeah, seem they, to have our number. Yeah, I was going to say the same, Stephen. They've, you know, like I said, they have, we haven't beat them since 2014. So uh, we struggled, like we said, we never beat Oklahoma, of course, as we all know. But we're struggling so Oklahoma still, uh, schools. But I guess if, if anything, I know we've all three unanimous on picking a loss here. But if anything, if you want to look on a bright, uh, bright side, we're definitely due. We're due to beat Oklahoma State again. That's very true. Like I said, two and a half point underdogs is blowing my mind. Like especially because that means that people are at least looking at us with a little bit more respect to what they had been, you know, or should have been even up to this point. So, yeah. Before we go, I want to change the narrative. Before we go, I want to touch on something very random though that we haven't talked about at all. Gary Patterson is no longer the coach of the Horn Frogs. Yeah, what a man! That's going to be weird. Isn't it? I, yeah, I, the guy. The guy's my, got a sta- uh, statue outside the stadium. Yeah, yeah, that's what, and they fired. Like, how, how do you not let the dude? How do you not let the dude finish out the season? That's that was my well, apparently. Whole apparently, thing apparently, well, from what I heard, they offered him. They were like, "You can finish out the season," and he was like, "No, I'm good. I'm done." <laughs> it's probably smack in the face for how you know how he's being let go for how much he's done for that program. You know. It's not like I mean I get it one season and this season hasn't been that great for them but man but I mean I hope they realize like the second the second he got fired I think the next couple of days they had two or three guys decommit immediately yeah. and I mean they're like, just going to keep Patterson made TCU yeah. football mm-hmm. I mean kids are going to TCU yeah, for Gary Patterson 100%. like let's make no lie of it. Yeah, that's. Oh, I mean, man. twenty plus years—that's unheard I, of. In I, I hate. It. I honestly hate it for the guy. I really do. I I've been very vocal about how big of a fan I am of Gary Patterson on this show. I, you know, for, as far as opposing coaches of WVU football, I've I've got a lot of respect for Gary Patterson as a football coach. I'll say that. Yeah, as well. We all we all should. I mean, twenty plus years and built TCU into what they are. You know, was twenty fourteen should have been in the college football playoff. Really turned that program around, made them absolute studs. Even even when they came to the Big Twelve, it was like they didn't miss a beat. So that's a guy that's that really deserves recognition for sure. And he's gone as well as Matt Wells now gone at Texas Tech as well. So both those uh, searching for a new coach, but. Also, uh, I've heard, and I don't know um, how much, you know, I know we're getting ready to close this out, but I did want to bring this up, you know, while we're talking coaches. Uh, apparently, Justin Fuente following the Georgia Tech game is going to be done at Virginia Tech. So, uh, West Virginia next year going into Blacksburg may be facing a uh, first-year head coach. Very, very, very possible. Yeah, definitely and not how he thought his season surprising. was going to go after that win against UNC. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, no absolutely doubt. Absolutely not. And I, I gotta think the VT fans are hating it though, because you know if they'd have fired Fuente last year, like which was rumored that they wanted to do, they could have probably hired Shane Beamer. But you know, South Carolina hired him last off season. So uh, from what I've heard, Sonny Dykes is a guy that they're looking at. But it's gonna be interesting to see um, where VT goes because you know non-conference next year where has VT and Pitt both on the road. So uh, that's that's kind of big, you know, moving forward. I know. Uh, not really concerned about what Virginia Tech does, but them having a first-year head coach would uh, help West Virginia a lot next season. Yeah, I, I, I do have full confidence that Virginia Tech will make a good hire out of it. I I don't think – I think they rushed the hire with Justin, with Justin Fuente a little too much in my mind. I think replacing Frank Beamer was 
you know, not something that anybody wanted to do at Virginia Tech. And so I don't really think that they took the time to study on the guy that was really the right fit for Virginia Tech at the time. So I think this time, knowing how they've been in other moves, you know, in, in the front office of things out there, uh, I think that they – my prediction is they make a better hire this time, in, in my opinion. Maybe not in the first year. Hopefully not when they play with when they play West Virginia. But yeah, fingers <laughs> crossed they don't. <laughs> but uh, that being said, I guess that will pretty much wrap us up here on the Oklahoma State preview of the Country Roads webcast. Um, as always, join us uh, Sunday as we'll have the Oklahoma State reaction video uh, streaming live on uh, Facebook and YouTube. Follow our social medias at WVU Country Roads on Twitter and then Country Roads Webcast on Facebook as we'll announce that um, usually early Sunday, midday Sunday, what time that's going to be. If you guys want to ch- tune in with us, uh, we'll address your questions, thoughts, comments, what have you on the victory or loss, however it turns out, hopefully on the winning side for West Virginia. But regardless, it's a great way for us to interact with you guys throughout Minor Nation, you guys to interact with us here in the fourth year of the Country Roads webcast. Um, that being said, any final thoughts, gentlemen, before we close this episode out? Uh, anything you guys want to plug, address, uh, talk about, uh, whatever here uh, to close this one out? Uh, yeah, Ooh, I know. Uh, yeah, we're getting ready to do, uh, start doing the basketball podcast, guys, so be sure to look out for that one. Yeah. Uh, we're probably going to be dropping those m- most of the time. Um, on Tuesday and Thursdays, um, if the games happen to you know conflict with that, then we'll move it a day before or a day ahead, depending on what day that game is. Uh, maybe on even on Sundays, but we will be doing the podcast uh, version of this year, and really excited to do so. Uh, so make sure you be on the lookout for that, guys. Yeah, absolutely. CRW hoops uh, coming at you. Definitely uh, check that out. Uh, moving forward as the basketball season is about to kick off here about a week or so. So uh, um, any final thoughts from you, Bradley? Nope. I'm good to go. All right. That'll that'll pretty much do us here. Uh, Glad to be back with you two guys, uh, all three of us together. Uh, happy to happy to have it, and uh, hopefully more and forward we'll have more of that here as we uh, get ready to close out the football season here. A few games left in uh, 2021, and the Mountaineers hopefully continue on the winning side of it. Uh, that being said, as always, I'm your host, Jordan Cruz, and for Steven and Bradley, until next time, let's go Mountaineers. If you really want to know, then come on, let's go. Take a stroll down those